and we were playing against Bayern Munich and then we were a goal down with two minutes to go and, and I thought if we can just get the ball into the box but, you know they can call it blind faith what you want but I thought if we can just get the ball in the box and we can get a goal it'll give us that little bit of extra time we'll win this still I was convinced that we could win and then uh, the ball came across and and because it was two minutes from the end Peter Schmeichel the goalkeeper came came up and I don't know what it is about the Germans you know they could be very orderly and disciplined but it threw them completely you know they, they had all the plans for who they were going to mark but suddenly this great big blonde goalkeeper this Dane came up and and it threw them completely and 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 suddenly for the first time there was there was a bit of disarray in their defense and and the ball fell to Ryan Giggs who who hit the ball into the or Dwight York first hit the ball into the box four of four of their defenders had gone with Peter Schmeichel and then the ball fell to Terry Sheringham and, and he, he didn't hit it well but he hit it goalwards and and then you see the back of the net and, and they just and I'm up and I, I, I can't remember I can't remember really I remember apologizing to some people in front of me for jumping over them very important FIFA officials as well and then uh, and then I sat back and I, I tried to keep myself cool and and but while I was actually thinking, keep cool, keep cool, we went and we, we got a corner. David Beckham knocks the ball across, Teddy Sheringham helps it on, and, and Gunnar Solskjaer knocks the ball into the net. And as, as the ball hits the net, for me it was as though the world stood still. I thought, this is, par this is what paradise is all about, it's got to be. And, and I honestly do not remember what I did for about five minutes. I went up to my wife and my, my daughter and my son-in-law were up there. I, I, I dashed up to them, I dashed back and, and, uh, and suddenly the world was great again. And, and I thought, well, this, there is nothing ever going to be better than this. And here comes Charlton! Oh, a great goal! Oh, that was a goal good enough to win the League, the Cup. It's hard, maybe impossible to put into words what Sir Bobby Charlton meant to Manchester United and to English football. A man whose name was known around the world, whose name was and often still is enthusiastically shouted at travelling Englishmen and Mancunians. Bobby Charlton, Manchester, they say. Yes, Bobby Charlton from Manchester United. Bobby Charlton, World Cup winner. Ballon d'Or recipient, the man who survived the Munich air disaster and led his club to European glory a decade on, who was pulled out from a burning wreckage, presumed dead, but only weeks later led United again. No one has or will embody what we see as the values of Manchester United better than the humble, dignified, resilient, fearless of Bobby Charlton, who at the greatest moments of his career bared his emotions on the pitch unashamedly who on the pitch had an agile grace to his play which could suddenly erupt into the most magnificent display of powerful shooting. He could shoot for Manchester and score in Rio de Janeiro, Pele said of Bobby Charlton. Manchester United has lost a key part of its soul this weekend. I hope the values that Charlton embodied so unwaveringly by his fame and fortune will be the goal of everyone associated with the club going forward. Welcome to the Manchester United Winning Podcast. I'm Harry Robinson outside Old Trafford, about 100 metres or so away from the Trinity statue where fans have gathered to pay respects to Charlton. And Jack Tate joins me as always from across the ocean and how appropriate as we discuss a man whose achievements left generations of people across the world in awe from Manchester 
to Tokyo, Cape Town, New York and beyond to inspire the United Fund for millions and millions. Jack, it's a very sad weekend, isn't it? Unimaginably sad, really. Sir Bobby embodied everything that we hold dear about Manchester United. And I think you can see from the outpouring of emotion, not just from United fans, but from everyone involved in football across the country and across the world, just how much Bobby Charlton's impact and legacy extended beyond just Old Trafford. That will always be, you know, his biggest impact on any organisation, on any group of people at United. But his legacy goes far beyond that. His stature as a player was remarkable. His record stood, you know, as England top goal scorer for half a century. And yet, arguably, his impact since retiring has been just as great. You know, there is not a single person you could ever find to say a bad word about Sir Bobby. He remained the ultimate ambassador for this club and for English football around the world and will always be an icon, a true icon of of English football and of Manchester United's history. Just a you know, remarkable man and an incredibly sad day and, and weekend for everyone involved with the club. Yeah, football and footballers don't always live up to our hopes and expectations for it, but Charlton did. And you're right, like the best, I don't think English football has had or will ever have as great an ambassador as, as Bobby Charlton. And, and you're right as well in that his impact at United has continued long after his playing days. This is the man who brought David Beckham to United, who helped appoint Sir Alex Ferguson and then who helped keep Sir Alex in the job and, and backed him while others didn't. This is the man who named Old Trafford the Theatre of Dreams. Like I'm standing outside, well, I'm literally standing just underneath the Sir Bobby Charlton stand, which is, yeah, a tug to the heartstrings. But yeah, this is the man who called this place his Theatre of Dreams and in his playing career helped it become the Theatre of Dreams for everyone who came here who could... It is that just incredible playing style which had so much grace to it and yet always lurking under the surface, ready to come out at a moment's notice. This just the most powerful shot in football. It was, we obviously didn't see him live because we're way too young, but watching the highlights, I'm always astonished at how someone could kick a ball that hard and that accurately and just create so much joy for everyone as, as they did so. And, and also move so gracefully he seems to just glide across the pitch that, that Charlton that is, body swerve yeah and don't forget that was happening in, a, in an era where players were wearing boots that were five times heavier than they are now and playing on boggy pitches with extremely heavy balls like footballs it's just it's remarkable to watch clips of him playing back then and just think what he could have been today I was watching the, the coverage before the United game yesterday here in the States and Phil Neville was and Tim Howard with the pundits and Phil Neville was asked to compare him to a modern player and I don't think there is a, a player that you can compare him to because he's, the way that he played was so different to anyone else in the era of football that he was he stood apart even from the you know the, the great players United had a part of that holy trinity with Dennis Law and George Best the way that Sir Bobby moved with the ball on the pitch was just remarkable in an era where that kind of movement shouldn't really have been possible given the conditions that they were often playing in. And, and you know, he, he was just, he, he was such a brilliant player and it's hard to really put into words just how incredible it must have been to be there at the time and watch this remarkable player who 
you know, not only was so great on the pitch, but survived the darkest day maybe in this club's history and was part of this remarkable team that he was building that got torn down and then was also a key part of building the reincarnation of Man United. Almost every single part of the modern Manchester United can trace its path back at some point to Sir Bobby Charlton. And that's a pretty remarkable impact for one man to have. Yeah, you're right. It's the Gary Neville said, tweeted, I think, uh, that Bobby Charlton was the, the, I'm paraphrasing, but the golden thread which connected the two golden eras of United's history. And it's not just, as you say, it's not just that he was there for those two great eras. He played an active role in both of our two great eras post-war. The only man who can say that they did that. And I think that's why it hit United fans so much in, in the gut on Saturday when that news came out because this was, this was the constant of United. You could always rely on Bobby Charlton being there. And the players talk about it as well. Gary Neville said it, even Harry Maguire said it. And obviously, after his dementia diagnosis in 2020, that he's been a lot less actively involved at United and hasn't attended games for quite some time. But even as recently as a few years ago and back in the 80s and 90s, Charlton would go down to the dressing room, win, lose or draw and speak to the players and show his support to them. And so many players have found that so significant in their careers. This was a guy involved every step of the way, bar a few years after he left United as, as a player in 1973. Um, yeah. And, it, and you're, you're right in what I mean, you said earlier. It, it, sorry, go on. Say, even you mentioned him being a constant there. Like even for, for you and I, you know, we, we were born 50 yeah. years, or not, not 50 years, but 30 years after the peak of Bobby Charlton's career, after his retirement. And yet he's still been a constant for us. You know, it was almost a, you mentioned the, the Theatre of Dreams nickname. I mean, that gets said every single time United step on the pitch yeah. by commentators, whether every other game you see him in the stands, like you said, the players mentioning that he's he comes down to the dressing room, win, lose or draw. Even for people that when were you know decades away from ever having the privilege of seeing him play, he's still been the constant figure at Man United. Probably more constant than anyone else during our lifetime. Absolutely, yeah. And you're right in what you said earlier that it's indescribable what he had to go through. And and those who knew him best spoke of a tormented character who definitely had survivor's guilt and didn't understand why he'd been spared and all of his best mates had been killed at Munich. And as a result, he made it his mission to honour their legacy in the best way that he could by winning the European Cup. And it took what must have been just the hardest 10 years for him and Sir Matt and Harry Gregg and Bill Folks. But, but they did it. And it's Wayne Barton, who the great United author said, this is his, his career is, is the greatest in football. And I think it's quite hard to argue with that. An unblemished record for club and country. It's, it's incredible. I don't think you'll find a player whose personal and sporting story can be so compelling and so successful as Sir Bobby. And I, I think it does I think it does get forgotten a lot of the time the personal toll that, you know, the Munich air disaster and being one of the few survivors took on him as, you know, throughout the rest of his career. I think because it was so long ago now, it's sort of just, oh, he survived and then he was a great player afterwards. But to think about what he had to go through and the strength of character 
to continue playing, to continue giving his life to that football club whose tragedy he was involved in is just an utterly remarkable story that I don't think many people probably ever in human history could have really stomached through. And he not only did that, but was, you know, the integral part really of one of United's most successful periods in history. And it's, I think that does get lost the personal toll that that would have taken and just how incredible that is for any person to have gone through that kind of tragedy and to still devote their life to the organisation that every single day must have reminded him of, you know, such a dark day. Yeah, I'm sure for all of them, and I think several of them have mentioned it, but the survivors of Munich say not a day goes by where they don't think about those who died alongside them. And yeah, you're right. Every day, imagine, well, I can't imagine it. And yeah, he was, he was showing signs of greatness before Munich, this incredibly talented teenager who burst onto the scene with two goals against Charlton, <laughs> a game he played with a twisted ankle because he didn't want to say no to a debut when Matt Busby came calling. Scores two goals on his debut. It takes a little while for him to get into the team, but then scores 10 league goals as United win the title in 56-57. He was clearly already a, an incredible player, but the way he became central to that team, the, the leadership he showed at 20 years old after Munich and, and the way he stepped up as a player is yeah, is remarkable and then became such a key figure for England as well in the summer of 1958 onwards. And yeah, interesting. we've obviously all been watching the Beckham documentary and bit where I think Phil Neville says no 99.9% of, of footballers wouldn't be able to stomach what Beckham went through after the 1998 World Cup and he might be right but in comparison to watch out and have to go through Beckham's idol and Beckham's dad's idol and this is a man who was found for Manchester United and he was named after Bobby Charlton in comparison it's yeah it, it, it's incomparable um, and you see that the so many great photos going on. The photo of um, Dalton at full time at the Bernabeu in the 68 European Cup semi final. An obviously haunted figure behind the eyes. And, and that full time whistle brought relief. And I can't imagine the emotions that would have, would have brought on. Um, and then there's been the, the different, less haunting, fantastic photos and, and clips like the one we played at the start of a man who was just like, just loved United. The, the clip of him when Van der Sar takes an Elkers penalty in Moscow in 2008, just the joy. It's like, this is a man who spoke about football with such passion. And um, I, I was privileged to meet him a couple of times. Once when I was 12, I think, at QPR away, 11 or 12. And my brother asked him, like, I think in, in the kind of, Sound like where you ask questions like this said how did like how did he become so good and he said uh find a wall take a ball and kick the ball against the wall with your right foot and then with your weaker foot for as long as you can and start close to the wall kicking with your weaker foot and then take a step back keep taking a step back and then start volleying it and then start striking it and yeah it's it like so many people have had experiences like that meeting Bobby Charlton where he gave them at the time of day because he never lost sight of who he was and he never lost that humility and for someone to have that impact on so many people's lives thousands 
thousands of people is is amazing. I know the, the other time I met him, I was chatting, and and his wife, Lady Norma, is, has one of the most incredible memories I've, I've ever known. Um, and the other time I I was speaking to Norma about a, a charity football match I was organising at school, and so Bobby just interrupted to say like, "Oh, good work, son!" And it like one of the yeah, one of the great moments. <laughs> but yeah. It's such a strange feeling, isn't it? I don't think it will sink in for a while. Yeah. It feels like the the soul of the football club has been ripped out. And obviously it it never has just been Sir Bobby and Man United will endure past any individual, but there are few that you could ever imagine feeling like the club has lost so much by losing one person. And I think it will take a long time to feel whole as a football club after losing uh, a, like you said, a person who's been a constant for the better part of half a century, more than that. It's the fact that every, every other figure, there's always a blemish to footballing legends, I think, in that there were things that Busby did that some people find unforgivable and that Ferguson did the way they treated certain players, not all players, but certain players. <laughs> you don't hear that about Charles, but and it, it's different because he wasn't the manager, he was a player, so it's a lot harder to do it's not as if he had to do those things which they had to do to be successful but yeah it's that unblemished record and I think part of the reason it's hard to take it because uh, it doesn't seem there's no there's no successor to Sir Bobby and I think 15 years ago people you, you might have thought it would be Ryan Giggs but there's obvious, obvious blemishes there um, and there, yeah there isn't there isn't another Bobby Charles I'm just standing directly in line with the Trinity statue and it's a lovely sight there's I mean, there's been hundreds of people here over the day. There's probably about a hundred here around the statue now. Loads of scarves and flowers. There's a scarf from Manchester City, a couple of Manchester City scarves. There's a Preston scarf, Peony, Everton shirt. There's a Rangers shirt. Loads of United kits, obviously. And no one can work out quite how, but <laughs> someone's got onto the statue clearly early this morning or in the middle of the night and put a United scarf, a black and white United bar scarf around. The, the neck of the statue Sir Bobby um, and it's just such a beautiful statue as well we were saying they're like you can get statues very wrong as we see in football all the time but that is perfection facing us Matt Bosby statue in the, in the front of Old Trafford it's, um, yeah it's, and then there's a book of condolences well several book of condolences in the international suite around the other side of Old Trafford which um, plenty of people have been dining as well it's uh, yeah it's it's lovely, and I think Tuesday will be uh, a, a special occasion. I think the plan is for Tuesday to be uh, a, a match of remembrance, and, and Saturday's game against Manchester City will be a bit more of a celebration of, of a remarkable life. But yeah, both both will be pretty special occasions, no doubt about that. Um, is, there, is there anything else before we talk about the, the game that happened that was overshadowed significantly and rightly by, by this news? I don't think there's anything more that we can add. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, what did you think of the game? I feel very conflicted by the performance, actually. I said that after the game and still now the next day, I don't really know how to feel about our performance. The first half, first half an hour in particular was, was really not good. We improved a lot after conceding. And then the second half I thought was, was okay. You know, I think on another day, we, we could have won that game 4-5-1 and we'd be sitting here saying, you know, it was a, 
a great game for us to kind of get back on track. Think about hitting the woodwork twice. Hoyland had two chances that I don't really think he did anything wrong with, but one, one a great save. The other one, it was a couple of inches away. Yeah, he keeps getting very close to, to those yeah. chances, doesn't he? Yeah. There's a lot where he's just been an inch or two away. Yeah, and so in, in that sense, I think, you know, maybe it was a, a decent performance, but even though we controlled the game in the second half, I just there's still absolutely no structure really to any of our attacks. It's very off the cuff. It's really reliant on either moments of brilliance or, you know, getting a transition to get us some space to work into. I, you know, Sheffield United are clearly a team in real dire straits at the moment. And the fact that we sort of huffed and puffed so much to get past them is is not a great sign. But I think the one positive for me is that there were a couple of moments of really good play between the front three, especially the play leading to that chance from Hoyland in the first half where he was a couple, you know, an inch away from reaching it. That was the kind of stuff that was absolutely brilliant that you want to see from your front three. The great ball over the top from Anthony to Rashford's run at the back post and then crossing it into the you know proper number nine in the middle. We just need to see more of it. And I still don't see enough signs of it happening just yet. Yeah. And it is, it's concerning in mid-October and the injuries are, are bad. And we spoke last week that it does, it, it feels like again, Tanaga's kind of given up, not given up, but paused the progress that he wants because he hasn't got the right players available. And in his first season, that was because he hadn't been able to sign them all. And this season, it's because of injuries. But um, yeah, it does just feel like we're just getting through this period. And Luke Shaw's not going to be back for another five weeks. Martinez is out until Christmas. Um, so, but, and, I, and ironically, despite all of that, actually, the defence was probably part of the team that played the best. I thought they were very, very good on the whole against Sheffield United. Yeah, it's it's the game that finally suited Harry Maguire, and he played very well. Yeah, he did. He, he was him and Johnny Evans. I thought were were both very good. And to be fair, Evans has been good all season when he's had to to come in and you know play a, an unexpectedly big role. I, I felt like the McTominay selection to your point about sort of giving up on trying to make progress with the way that we're approaching these games I felt like the McTominay selection was almost an admission of giving up from Ten Hag and that especially in away games it felt like it was him sort of saying I've accepted that we're never going to be able to control these away games and so I just want someone in there that can basically thrive in a bit of a dogfight game which this is probably going to be at least for parts of it and I I understand why he's doing that, but you know we're a, what a quarter of the way through Ten Hag's second season at this point. I think you know at, at what point is is it going to get? At, at what point are we going to get to a stage where we say actually this isn't enough? You know you've been here a long enough time that you, we do need to start seeing some progress in forming an identity of this team. I mean, just look at the role of Onana, for example. I understand that his confidence might be quite low with his shot stopping and everything, but. He's still a very, very good player with the ball at his feet, and his involvement is so much lower than it was at the start of the year. And I don't—that's not because of him. I, you know, it's not because he's doing any worse on the ball. We're clearly just as a plan of the way we approach these games. We aren't involving him. We aren't bringing him in the midfield deep to pick up the ball and try and play through teams. It—it just—it just all feels because he doesn't trust Maguire and Evans to to yeah. be able to be a part of a team like that. And probably doesn't trust the midfield either. Yeah, yeah. And I, I definitely understand it. And I think it, it probably is the right decision, but it's it's not great to watch. And I think it, it just, it makes you so 
obviously football's result dependent and <laughs> success is result dependent but it makes the feeling of the club so result dependent when at the start of the season we spoke about what we really wanted to see was not necessarily United challenging for the title or results being fantastic but what we wanted to see was progress and signs that we're we're moving on to the way that Ten Hag wants to play long term and I think we have seen that in the, the pressing a bit and that's got a lot better and I think we noticed that at the start of the season in the games against Wolves and, and Spurs for example where we saw yeah that that bit was good but it's like every, everything else hasn't isn't matching up to that um yeah I mean Dallas Dallas goal was much needed uh but yeah as you say it's symptomatic of United right now requiring individual brilliance and Sometimes, well, a lot of the time we needed that last season with Rashford and he's not been quiet on it this, this year. Um, he, he came from an unexpected source in Palo, a fantastic strike. And in fairness, in, in the move, we did generate space for the move to happen and for Dallow to shoot. So there, there were some good attacking signs in, in that second half. But, um, and you're right, we could have scored more, but it, it, I think it, it says everything that we needed kind of a nice wonder strike for, for win the game. Yeah, it does. And I don't think there were, given how much control we had of the game and how much Sheffield United really allowed us to play in that second half, we definitely did not. I mean, we didn't create any really clear cut chances in that second half other than the one that, that Rashford put wide with his left foot. And even that was a relatively difficult chance on that angle. All the others were, you know, Amrabat hit the hit the bar with a great strike that was unfortunate not to go in. Dallow's goal obviously was a similar one. Bruno Fernandes put one just wide immediately after the Amrabat hit the woodwork. When, when you're basically playing against a team sitting on the edge of their own box, showing very little appetite to come out and put you under pressure, you know that should be an opportunity. Even if you don't end up scoring, you should be absolutely dominant in that game and creating chance after chance. And, and United just don't seem to have any sort of understanding as an attacking force at the moment of, of how to do that. And I, th- I think that... That's a uh, it's a blight on Ten Hag's record so far. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. I, as, as we say, um, I think we've said a few times. Is I have absolute faith in him, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I don't think he's making the most of of this United team at the moment. Whereas I think he was absolutely making the most of them last season. Um, yeah, it's really it's really hard to know what to think about United at the moment, and it's. And I, I think I, was saying, I think the other the other thing for me is that last season I was much more willing to give Ten Hag a you know a lot of slack and a and, you know a very long rope because when it came to being more pragmatic and not trying to implement his ideal style half the team or more weren't players that he wanted but you look at it now and okay yes all, all the injuries in defence have made that harder you know all of that back four. Our players that were here before Ten Hag, or you know, Johnny Evans, sort of came in as a emergency relief. But you know, half that team are players that Ten Hag has handpicked at this point, and that makes it more difficult for me to accept if it goes on for the entire season. This idea that we just have to be pragmatic and get through the season because it's you know, how many signings has Ten Hag made, and we know that these are his signings, and so it's sort of at a certain point, it's like, well, are you not making the signings? because they're players that can fit into how you want to play. You know, there is going to come a point where being pragmatic, and again, I, I completely understand that for now. And I, I, to be honest, I think it's probably the right decision. But there is going to come a point where being pragmatic isn't enough anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
hopefully. I mean, in terms of mood, United needed to win yesterday for many reasons, including it, it just would have felt wrong to lose on the day of Bobby Charlton's death. It's, it, it's a temporary, it helps. And Brentford was absolutely essential. But we said about Brentford, it doesn't feel like it will kickstart United's season. Well, it hasn't. But this is another win that saves off the pressure. And I think that's just what Tenau is trying to do at the moment with injuries. Is there anything else on the on the game before we move on? Just back-to-back away wins for the first time since last December. Really? Wow. Yeah, December 2022 was the last time. Wow. Was that the was that when we beat Fulham with the gun actually? Yeah, I believe so. That well that was that was the it was actually between then and against Wolves on New Year's Eve. Ah uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um okay, let's have a short break for um normal listeners, patrons. You get ad free episodes, so no break for you. And then we'll go into uh the youth and low roundup and then we'll talk about Copenhagen on Tuesday night. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So a quick academy update. Well, the best academy news of the week came for Ethan Ennis, who made a long-awaited return from injury. The 18-year-old Runcorn-born forward has been recovering from an ACL tear for 12 months. He had a fantastic end to the 21-22 season, but couldn't carry that into the next season because he missed pretty much the entirety of it through injury. His return came in an under-21s 4-0 behind closed doors, friendly against uh, a win against Brentford B. Ennis scored one of the goals to mark his return, which is fantastic news. United's under-18s were beaten 1-0 away at Wolves in a tight game in the under-18 Premier League Cup, which operates on a group stage basis at the start. Uh, United remain top of our group on goal difference with, I think, one more game to play. Jack Copenhagen on Tuesday. As we say, it will be, a, I think, a fairly sombre occasion, but it will be uh, a great opportunity to pay proper respects at, at Old Trafford at the place that he christened the theatre of dreams, it, yeah, it will be a special occasion. Massively. And in some ways, all the more poignant that this first home game since his passing is in the Champions League, yeah. you know, a tournament back then, the European Cup, that his his legacy is so, you know, so intimately woven into between you know, Munich and, and then being part of and starring in the final of the team the first English team to win the European Cup, Man United's first team to win the European Cup. It it will be a a really special but probably quite sad occasion. I think as as players, it, it might be quite difficult initially, I think, to maybe get over the emotion that is in the ground. But I think you'll see 
an Old Trafford crowd that if if there is any even any hint of a good performance coming in the first five or ten minutes, the Old Trafford atmosphere will be raucous to say the least. Yeah, I hope that, that yeah the team can ride that atmosphere against a decent Copenhagen team because United have to win this game, otherwise that's probably it in the Champions League this season. Um, yeah, and potentially even in Europe if if United fails to win any of the opening three games then you might not even be looking at third place you might be looking at fourth and suddenly you're not even in the Europa League so yeah I hope the team can ride the atmosphere because I think it I think it will be pretty special and you're absolutely right a quick start an exciting start and it could be a, an amazing Old Trafford night and they need to live up to that and and don't I, I don't think they should try to ignore the atmosphere they should embrace it and, and use it as fuel and that has to be the message go out start quickly and turn it into a, a very difficult place to play for Copenhagen. Um, I haven't watched either of their games in the Champions League so far. Do you know much about them? Normally, I might have a little bit of a, a research before we record this, but attention has been firmly elsewhere. No, I, I, honestly, I don't. All I know is that they pushed Bayern Munich very close last time, albeit in Copenhagen. Yeah, and they've got two Hoyland brothers, and we only have one, so maybe that'll be the difference. I think... The, <laughs> One of the Hoylands at Copenhagen has started playing a little more regularly now. So we might see a, a Hoyland face-off, which would be, be fairly exciting. Yeah, and then City at the weekend, which we'll talk about in midweek. But God, <laughs> that's going to be tricky. Yeah, massive. I want to say that we're getting City at the right time because as is, seems to always be the case, they, they start the season somewhat slowly. And they just had was it back-to-back defeats, I think, for the first time in a few years. But I mean, I mean, yeah. But you you need to be part of those back-to-back defeats because once they lose two, yeah, yeah, they become a bit of a juggernaut again. Um, yeah, and they, I think, it looked like they pretty easily dispatched of a Brighton team who did us in. So I'm, yeah. I've, I'm probably the least confident I've been for a long time. But for for a the derby, only the only thing I think to to give you any kind of hope is that our record under Ten Hag against big rivals at home has been exceptional. Very true. You know, beat Spurs, beat Liverpool, beat Arsenal, beat Man City, beat Chelsea, beat Leeds. That's that's the, the only thing you could really hang your hat on, but it, it still feels quite tenuous. Yeah. And again, it should be a crackling Sunday afternoon atmosphere yeah. at Old Trafford. Uh I'm, I'm looking forward to these two games. I, because we went into the international break with a with a victory, I was actually really looking forward to the Sheffield United game. And in the end, it was very much clouded and you know, overshadowed by other matters. But uh, I am, despite, I don't know why, because it's, it's very much in spite of United's performances, but I am looking forward to, to watching us play at the moment. And this week, I think because of the poignancy of the, of the games, in fact, it's a, as you say, it's a great point. The first, game being a European match is, is, is appropriate and then a Manchester derby as well it's, uh, it, it's pretty perfect so very much looking forward to that uh, we're going to bid you farewell from well from me at the Charlton christened Theatre of Dreams Old Trafford it's a it's a really nice evening actually winter is kicking in and it's getting the chill is very much coming but there's a, a lovely sunset beginning to set behind Sir Alex Ferguson stand where I'm stood now um, and yeah the Scarves and the flowers continue to be laid at the Trinity statue. For more from us throughout the week, you can find us on the regular places on Twitter. Jack is at, at UTD Tate, T A I T. 
I'm at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself is at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. For any Manchester-based fans wishing to pay their respects, the tributes will be able to be laid all week. The con- book of condolences will be available to sign, I think, from 10am to 5pm, maybe maybe later. I can't remember the exact times, but that will be available to sign Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think. And there's, they're, I think they're just working out what to do and whether it'll be able to be signed on match day itself. But uh, you'll certainly be able to come and look at the statues. There's a few Copenhagen fans walking around Old Trafford now, paying their respects as well, which is which is lovely to see. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, sad weekend for Manchester United, but a cracking long shot wins it, which is uh, only appropriate for the great man. So Bobby Charles, speak to you soon. Goodbye. Network.